The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The book of Colossians chapter number three for our text reading here this morning. The book of Colossians chapter number three. I just got to say, I love worshiping with this church family. I, I, I love to hear you sing out. Sometimes I just sit in the front and just listen to this beautiful choir worshiping their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me commend you uh, just for being a church that really focuses on the message of these songs as we just sing. It's, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. This truly is about a risen Savior. And uh, some songs might be your preference. Some songs might not be your preference. And, and the reality is, we're not singing for you and we're not singing for me. We're singing for Jesus. Amen. And uh, as we just worship him together, what a, what a beautiful thing it is uh, to see a church that just lifts their heart and their voices in praise to God. And I, I love it and I look forward to it. And sometimes it just brings tears to my eyes just to hear you just literally singing out your souls to the Lord. And let me commend you for that. And let's, let's continue. When we come to these services, sometimes we sing songs that we've been singing for years and years, uh, like we did here this morning as we were singing to God be the glory. You've been singing it for decades. And I hope that those songs you'll continue to allow the words of those songs just to resonate in your minds. And then when we sing a brand new song we've never sung before, I hope you'll allow those songs just to be fresh and and get you to focus afresh and anew on some aspect of God's incredible glory. And, And regardless of what song we're singing, I pray that we wouldn't get locked into this or that, that we would just really focus on Jesus Christ. And I love being a part of a church that does exactly that. Colossians chapter number three is where we're at this morning. Uh, In this series, we are attempting to tackle a huge topic, and that is how change actually happens. And so, how does change take place? Uh, While a lot of different people uh, have a lot of different theories about how change occurs, uh, we've been taking a few weeks and we've been going to the scriptures and asking ourselves, what does the Bible teach about how change happens? actually happens. And for some of us here today, the change we want to see is, is maybe very surface in nature. And, and, and maybe for some of us, we, we just like to change our, our eating habits, or maybe we just like to change our health or our fitness. And these are important things to desire to change, and, and yet they're physical in nature. And, and maybe there are others in this room, and, and you have deeper spiritual issues that you're trying to see changed in your life. And maybe it is in regards to your walk with God. Or maybe it's in regards to maybe just the spiritual disciplines that you want to see the Spirit of God and His grace cultivate in your life. And so regardless of what type of change you feel God's Spirit leading you into, we want to make sure that as a church family, we are approaching that change biblically and properly. And uh, if we if we don't approach change biblically, if we don't approach change uh, scripturally, Um, we might be in danger of not seeing lasting change take place in our lives. And we'll be like those Christians that are up and down and up and down and back and forth and left and right. And yet when the Spirit of God is creating true change, it's a change that lasts. It's a change that's deep. It doesn't just affect our behaviors. It also affects our motives. It affects our values. It affects our beliefs. 
It affects our worldview. It, it affects us holistically. And, and that holistic change makes it possible for the fruit of behaviors to continue to endure and to persevere. And so inside your service program, you'll find an outline that you can use to follow along through the message. I hope it'll be a help to you as we take the time to study the Bible together this morning. Just before we kind of get into our text, the reality is we can attempt to fix our lives on our own. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. However, when we attempt to change our lives or fix our lives in our own strength, in our own power, we fail to experience lasting change. And as we've been saying for weeks, we either fail miserably, we fall flat on our face and we fail, or we succeed even more miserably. We, we, we get it right on the outside, we dot our I's and we cross our T's, we walk the walk and we talk the talk, and yet we do so with self-righteousness and we do so with pride and with arrogance and it conjures up an entitlement mentality and a superiority complex that makes us judgmental and critical of people who are not doing it quite the way we would do it. And so while we on some degree succeed, we ultimately fail in self-righteousness. And, and because of that, the change doesn't last. This isn't the way God intended for the believer to live. A few months ago, I was reading a book by an author. Some of you would be familiar with him, Neil Anderson. He wrote several books. And uh, in one of his books, he made a statement, and it really resonated with me. It was simply this, and I think they're going to throw this on the screens. No individual can, can consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves to be. I want you to leave this up here for just a moment because I want this to sink in. It's kind of the theme for this message here today. No one of us, man or woman, old or young, Depending on our background, no individual can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves to be. So what Neil is saying here is that if you have an identity of a thief, if you have an identity as a gossiper, if you see yourself as, a, as an addict... No matter how hard you try to change your behavior, eventually your actions and your behaviors will fall in line with who you believe yourself to be. And this is why we need to see heart change. Because if we're just trying to change our behavior, but deep down we still believe ourselves to be an addict. Deep down we still perceive ourselves to be, you know, a gossip. And we're just going to try to change our behavior. The reality is eventually our behaviors are going to align with our identity. Now the Apostle Paul had a ton to say about our identity. Tons. It was probably one of his leading topics. He speaks of it in most of his epistles that our identity is vital to our Christian walk. And so that's a little bit of what we're going to unpack today. We're going to attempt to really look at what the Bible says about our identity in Christ. Who are we for reals? My fear is that there are maybe some Christians in this room and you've had somebody steal your identity and you don't even know it. Identity theft has happened to you and you don't even know. 
And so we're going to look at the scriptures and we're going to seek to find out who are we. Because when we come to grips with who we are in Christ and we see our identity and we begin to see ourselves not for what the social mirror tells us we are, not for what our past tells us we are, Not for what our failures tell us we are, but when we get a glimpse of ourselves in light of who we are because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, and we begin to see ourselves as God sees us because of the blood of Jesus Christ, then we are in a position to begin to see real lasting change takes place. Because we can preach, do this, and we can preach, behave that way, and we can preach, act like this. But if it's inconsistent, if you attempt to do those things in the flesh, in your own strength, in a way that's inconsistent with who you believe yourself to be, lasting change will never permanently set in. So what I want to focus on a little bit today is, do you see yourself as God sees you? Do you see yourself as God sees you, all right? If you're physically able... I'd like to invite you to stand here as we read from our text today. Colossians chapter number 3 is going to be our springboard. And then we're going to jump to many of the different epistles as we seek to unpack our true identity in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 4, When Christ, who is our Life. Now, if you're used to writing in your Bible, or you maybe highlight in your Bible, can I highly encourage you to highlight that little phrase, Christ, who is your life. When he shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. This morning, I want to speak on the subject of your new life in Christ. How does God see you? What does, Christ, what does God see when he looks down and, and sees you? What is your true identity? And maybe the question we want to ask ourselves is, is the identity that God sees when he looks at us consistent with what we see when we look at ourselves? Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I am praying that you would give us an accurate view of ourselves. The reality is that in our flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. In our own strength, we're wicked. We're sinful. And there is no good thing in us, is what the Apostle Paul states. But Lord, as we accept Christ into our lives, for those of us who are who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, the Bible says your spirit has taken up residence. And when God looks at us, he sees us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And it totally alters his perspective, his view, and his proclamation and declaration in regards to who we are. And I pray that you would bolster that new identity that we have in you. Lord, I pray that you would bless in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. 
Did any of you, when you were younger, ever go to one of these carnivals uh, that had a tent with all these mirrors? If you know what I'm talking about, and you stand in front of these mirrors, and these mirrors would make you different shapes. You guys know what I'm talking about here? And sometimes you would go to one set of mirrors, and uh, it might make you super skinny and, and really long, and it would stretch you out. And then you'd go to another mirror, and it would kind of make you a little bit wavy, and, and, and others just make you maybe a little bit rounder. And all these different mirrors, depending on the mirror that you looked at, it would give you a different reflection as to who you are. Now, some of our younger folks in here, some of the teenagers and things, you're probably not as familiar with this. Uh, You might kind of understand this illustration a little bit better. On many of your computers, uh, there's applications that you can go to and you can make yourself look different because the, the camera on your computer will take funny pictures of you. The lens will get distorted. And so last night, my kids and I were messing around with one of these things and we were having a great time with it. Those of you with kids maybe have done this before. And uh, we, were, we were allowing these filters to kind of distort uh, our perspective of who we were. And so that's me and my son Anderson there. And we threw those up. And I, I don't know exactly what filter he had placed on it, but uh, he was having fun with that. I think they have another one here. And this is me and Anderson right here. And I don't, I'm not quite sure what he's doing. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned, but it it distorted. I I think we have one more here or something like that. And uh, it does all kinds of things, small faces, big heads. And uh, is that that about it? Oh, there we go. There we go. (laughs) So these these lenses on on the computer will change the reality of what we see. And and guys, that's enough. All right, there we go. (laughs) So these filters give a perspective. Now, now here's the reality. That, that's not what I look like, right? Okay, okay, good. Just making sure here. But the filter was projecting back to me something that wasn't real. Now, here's the application. Many of you have lived months, some of you even years, And possibly, in a few cases, even decades. And you have been living your life in light of a perspective that you have of yourself. Because the social mirror, the people around you, have been shouting at you who you are for month after month, year after year, and for some cases, decade after decade. And here's here's what's so sad. Some of you actually believe now that is who you are. And you walk through this life living in response to that reality. For so long, you've been told this is who you are by the social mirror. You've been told by those closest to you, this is who you are. You've been told by people who are angry or hurt at you, this is the reality of who you are. And what's sad is at first we don't want to believe it, but when you get told something long enough, loud enough, and often enough, eventually you begin to live like that's who you are. Sociologist studies have been done, psychology studies, and the scriptures all reinforce this reality. The social mirror tells us we something, but it's not just the social mirror that tells us we're something. Oftentimes, it's our past. We've lived, it's our past performance. We've done something a certain way for so long, we literally begin to think, that's who I actually am. This is what I've done. This is my behavior. This is my action. And so this must be who I am. And the reality is, 
if you are in Christ, your identity is not dictated by your performance. Your identity is not dictated by the social mirror. Your performance is not dictated by what somebody says about you. In fact, according to the word of God, you are, in reality, who God declares you to be in Christ. Now, I do need to caveat this. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, if you've never put your faith in the fact that he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross to take the penalty of your sin, and you believe that three days later he rose from the dead, proving he was God, proving he had power over death, proving that he had what it took to get you to heaven and give you new life here on earth. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, then this message of hope, unfortunately, is not for you. This is for those who have had a season where they've put their faith in Christ and have had the imputed righteousness of God placed on their account. Now, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone, today could be the day of your salvation. And I would plead that you would do so today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You can have the hope of eternal life in heaven and abundant life here on earth as Christ's imputed righteousness is put to your account. You can have that promise. You can experience that today. But the message I'm preaching is to those who have placed their faith in Christ. And I want to seek and I want to attempt to show you from the scripture who you now are. Who the Bible declares you to be in Christ. This morning we're going to look at a few powerful ways in which Christ in us, that little phrase, Christ in us, should affect our personal identity and the way we see ourselves, all right? So notice what it says here in Colossians 3 verse 4. When Christ, who, notice the next word, is. The Bible declares that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, this life is no longer your life. This life no longer belongs to you. You now are experiencing Christ's life. When Christ, who is your life, any hope that you have in the future... Any hope that you have in seeing change take place is going to take place because you yield to the reality that you are not your own anymore, that you now belong to Christ, and Christ desires to live not your life, not your dreams, not your hope, not your future, but he desires now to live his life, his dreams, his hope, his future through you. To yield, to allow him to do through you what you could never do on your own. You see, this leads us to our first thought this morning, and that is simply this. It's simple, but I want you to see, Jesus is my life. Jesus is my life. Colossians says it this way in Colossians 2 verse 10, and ye are complete in him. You are complete in Christ. 
I know some of you are sitting here today and you feel like your identity is such that you're a nothing and that you're a nobody and you don't have what it takes to overcome this addiction and you don't have what it takes to overcome this debilitating sin and you don't have what it takes to overcome this unhealthy habit and you don't have it within you and you you could never experience it. But I want to declare to you today based on the authority of the word of God that you do have what it takes in Christ because the Bible boldly declares that you are complete in him. Everything you need for life and godliness has already been entrusted to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything you ever needed and everything you will ever need, we now have access to because of what Christ did for us and who Christ is in us for the future. I'm going to take a couple moments here and I want you to see this. According to Ephesians chapter number one and verse number seven, in Christ, I am no longer guilty, but I am forgiven. According to Ephesians chapter number one and verse number six, in Christ, I am no longer rejected. I am now accepted. According to Jeremiah chapter number 31 and verse number three, in Christ, I am no longer despised. In Christ, I am loved. According to Romans 8, in Christ, I am not unrighteous. In Christ, I am now made the righteousness of God. According to Hebrews chapter number 10, in Christ, I am not holy. In Christ, I am holy because of what he has done on my behalf. According to Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse 10, in Christ, I am no longer weak, but in Christ, I am strong and you are strong. According to 1 Corinthians chapter number four and verse seven in Christ we are no longer poor but in Christ we are rich according to second Corinthians chapter number two and verse 14 in Christ I am not a failure but in Christ we are now victorious according to Colossians chapter number two we see that in Christ we are not inadequate but in Christ we are complete according to second Corinthians chapter number six and verse 20 in Christ I am not worthless, but in Christ we are valuable. According to first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter number 5, in Christ we are not the same as we used to be, but in Christ we are new creatures in him. According to Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 17, in Christ we are no longer nobodies. In Christ we are now a child of the king and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That is who God declares you to be in Jesus. That is your new identity. That is who you are in reality. And here's the question. Do you live in response to that reality? That is who God declares you to be. That is who you are. That is what he has made you. Christ is your life. And while, while there are times where I do not behave like that, there are times where I do not live like that, it doesn't change the reality of who God says I am. And so I believe it and I respond to that reality by faith. I'm no longer going to respond to what the social mirror declares me to be 
And I want to encourage you to no longer respond to who the social mirror declares you to be. You are not your past. You are not your problems. You are not your difficulties. You are not your trials. You are not your image. You're not your reputation. You are in reality who God declares you to be in Christ. If you are a child of his. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. In 1999, there was a homeless man by the name of Thomas Martinez. He was 67 years old. Thomas Martinez one day was sitting on the side of the road doing what he had done for years, collecting pennies and scraps of food. That was who he was. He sat there and All of a sudden, one day, out from the distance, he saw a couple of police officers rushing toward him. Thinking that he had somehow gotten into major trouble, he started running from these police officers and was able to actually get away from them. In fact, no matter how hard the police officers tried, they they could not find Thomas Martinez. In fact, they looked for months and years. They could not find this guy anywhere. You say, why were they looking for him? A couple of months earlier, he had a family member who had passed away and had left him $6 million as an inheritance. There were some folks that had heard he was living out on the streets, and so the police officers were coming to tell him that he was now going to inherit $6 million. But they never found him. That was 1999, 67 years old. And from the best anybody can tell, Thomas Martinez died living on the streets, collecting pennies and scraps of food, when in reality, he was a multi-millionaire. You say, why do you share that story? Because in a spiritual realm, I actually think there are many Christians that live the exact same way. In your own flesh, in your self-righteousness, you're scrapping for that next thing that you can do in and of yourself. Through my performance, I can, I, can, I can beg a little here and I can push a little there and I'll do my best to make this thing work. And, and you're, you're living kind of like a spiritual vagabond. When in reality, you are a joint heir with Christ. You have all access to everything that your brother Christ has access to. And yet we continue to live in spiritual poverty rather than living in response to the riches that is already ours in the person of Jesus Christ. My friend, it's ridiculous to waste our lives seeking after things that we already possess in Christ. Some of you have frantically and sometimes I have frantically spent my life and my energy seeking after significance and seeking after feelings of importance and God's standing right there and says, I've already given you all the significance that you will ever need and we live our lives looking for feelings of success and feelings of victory and God's standing right here and says, I've already given you every feeling of success. I've already given you triumph because of what your brother Jesus did on your behalf. You're already victorious and yet we live our entire lives scrapping for this, 
reaching for that, literally like meagerly begging for pennies on the side of the road when we could be literally living in the palace. Spiritually understanding that all the riches that are his is now ours in Christ. I am not preaching a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. But what I am simply saying is this. Too many of us are looking for security and significance and satisfaction in all the wrong places. It's already yours in Christ. And so you're looking to go here to get those feelings and run here to get those emotions and do this to get that, you know, and God's just saying, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. I've already got it for you. If you'll simply understand who you are now in Christ, it's your new identity. And there are Christians who spend their entire lives running here, going there, Spending energy doing this and spending money doing all these things to get these momentary fixes when in reality they no longer need to beg for little scraps of significance. They no longer need to beg for little scraps of security. They no longer need to beg for little scraps of satisfaction. They no longer need to beg for little scraps of success because everything that they need, God has already given to them in Christ. And whenever Christ comes along to tell you and to remind you and to show you, you don't have to beg for those scraps anymore. They're yours in Christ. You see them coming and you run. (laughs) Much like Tony did. Rather than responding and resting to Christ and allowing Christ to be your life, to live his dreams and his future and his desires through you, you're all over the place, begging for scraps on a corner when all the riches of significance and satisfaction and security and success are already yours in Jesus. Because he is your life. You say, why is this so important? Because no individual can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves to be. If you don't understand who you are in Christ, then you will never ultimately be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. It's impossible. You'll do it for a week. You'll do it for a month. You'll push real hard in self-righteousness and you'll push real hard in your own strength. You'll push real hard in your own ability. You'll make it happen for a little while, but your values and your motives and your worldviews and your beliefs will literally sabotage the very foundation that all that is built on and give it a few months, give it a few years and eventually your flesh, your own strength will fail out and it'll all collapse because it was not built on the foundation of God's word. It was built on your meager attempts to try to beg it up on the street corners of this life. Jesus is your life. Colossians 1 says it this way, Christ in you is the hope of glory, which brings us to our next thought, and that is simply this, not only is Jesus my life, but also Jesus is my hope. You're not your sin. You're not your failure. You're not your past. 
You're, you're not even your temptations. You are who God says you are in Christ. That is your new identity. That is who God says you are. Oh, I love where 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 17 says it this way. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is. It doesn't say will be. It doesn't say will become. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Past tense. Behold, all things are are become new. Jesus is your hope, not your own self-righteousness, not your ability to work things out, not your ability to change your future. Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your hope for satisfaction. Jesus is your hope for significance. Jesus is your hope for security. Jesus is your hope for success and feelings of significance. He is that hope. Everything else will sell you an illusion and everything else will sell you a lie, but eventually it will lead you down the stream and leave you with nothing because only Christ and only in Christ can you experience ultimate satisfaction and only in Christ can you experience ultimate significance and ultimate uh, uh, success in him. He is your life. He is your hope. I love this. There's only one who gets to name you. And that's the one who made you. Not your pastor. Not the people sitting down the pew. Not your boss, not your coworkers. Jesus. This is why it's so vital to get into his word and remind yourself who God declares you to be in Christ. And then by faith, Live in response to the reality of who God says you are in him. I think they're going to throw this on the screens, but the hard work of the Christian life is to believe by faith Christ's declaration of who you are against every contrary voice and experience. This was Paul Paulson who said this. You say, what's the hard work of the Christian life? It is the fight of faith. The fight to believe what God says to be true. It's not the hard work of self-righteousness. I'm not saying that's not hard. It is hard, but it just doesn't happen to be the hard work of the Christian life, not biblically speaking. The hard work of the Christian life is to believe by faith Christ's declaration for who you are against every contrary voice and every contrary experience. And this is difficult. Because you've got peers and you've got loved ones. Some of you've got spouses. You've got your past. You've got your failures. The social mirror yelling at you day in and day out. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. And the hard work of the Christian life is to believe who God says you are in, dis- in, in contrast to every contrary voice and experience. God, everything we talked about at the beginning of this message, God says you are in Christ. You say, that sounds preposterous. That sounds crazy. I'm victorious. I'm strong. I'm triumphant. That doesn't even make any sense. You believe God split wide open the Red Sea. You believe God spoke this world into existence. You believe the walls of Jericho came down. You believe some pretty miraculous things. But then all of a sudden we start talking about who God declares you to be in reality. 
And since all these other things are telling you, well, it's not very probable, you have a hard time believing it. And just like you have to have faith to believe that God spoke this world into existence, and just like you have to have faith to believe that God split wide open the Red Sea and brought down the walls of Jericho, you have to have faith and believe what God says you are to be true. And it takes just as much faith as any of of those other things. And every contrary voice and every contrary experience might try to convince you differently, but it doesn't change the reality of who you are in Christ. You are not who your past tells you you are. You are not what the social mirror tells you you are. Now, every once in a while, the social mirror may be right. And every once in a while, your past experience might be right. And every once in a while, these things might be right. I'm not saying they're never right. I'm just saying they're, unre- they're unreliable. Because sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. What's always reliable is God's word and his promises. That is always reliable. Jesus, he is your life. Jesus is our hope. Oh, it's him. One of the things I love about being here at Ambassador Baptist Church is to see how God is changing our church from the inside out. I I have seen so many illustrations of people's lives being conformed by his identity. And literally, as I look across the room right now, many of you, three years ago, 10 years ago, or 15 years ago, your life looked a lot different than it does today. And it is because Christ is changing your life from the inside out. He's doing some incredible things in your life. And, and one of the things I love about this church is that this is not just a place where we're, where we're, we're collecting all the, the polished, you know, nice-looking little Christians and kind of pulling them into one building, you know, so we can be all proud of ourselves. Man, we, we've got some, if I can use this term, trophies of grace in this room right now. We've got some people in this room and you've got some baggage and you've got some, you have a background. But you've been made new in Christ. And that's not who you are anymore. And I know there's old friends who try to tell you that's who you are. And I know your, your past comes up every once in a while and starts to haunt you and tries to convince you that's who you are. They try to convince you, you are that guy, you are that girl. But I'm here to say today, continue to allow and respond to who Christ says you are. Live in light of that new reality against every other contrary voice and experience. And finally, notice Second Peter says this. According as he is divine power hath given us to all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And this is Second Peter 1 verse 3. The Bible says his divine power hath given us to, here's the phrase, all things. All things that pertain unto life, everything we're going to need for this life, and godliness is already yours because of the promises of God. He's given you everything you need to feel significant. He's given you everything you need to feel satisfied. He's given you everything you need to feel secure. He's given you everything you need to feel safe. He's given you everything you need to feel successful and triumphant. It's already yours in Christ. You already have it. It's already been entrusted to you. Some of us just need to accept and respond to it in faith. 
Though it's ours, like a check that has been given to us, we've never taken it to the bank of God's throne room and cashed that check by faith. To simply believe that God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. He has entrusted everything I need to feel secure and to feel safe and to feel significant. And I know the world and I know people and I know my flesh tells me I need to have something else or do something else or be somewhere else in order to get those feelings. God says they're already yours right now in Christ. It's like a check sitting there in your kitchen. It's been given to you. You just haven't taken it to the bank and cashed it by faith. It's already yours. If you at your house had a check from Bill Gates sitting in your kitchen for $5 million, would it be sitting there very long? No. How many of you would cash it fairly quickly? Or how many of you would be like this? I don't know if he's good for it. (laughs) Ah, maybe. I'll wait. We'll, We'll watch the news a while and see if maybe, you know. No, you take that thing to the bank. You would believe... That that check has money attached to it. That he's good for it. Can I say this? God's good for it. He's good for it. The feelings of success, the feelings of significance, the feelings of security, the feelings of satisfaction is a check that has already been given to you. And if you're not experiencing it, it's not because God hasn't given it to you. It's by faith. You are not responding to that reality by faith. You're not stepping out by faith and saying, God, I believe what you've already said to be true. You're not responding to the new identity of who God has already made you to be. And so while positionally you have it, functionally you're not experiencing it. But his grace has already made it yours. It's faith that allows you to functionally experience it on a daily basis. Because of Christ's spirit in you, you now have access to everything you need to see your life changed. Can I say, if Christ is in you, if you've put your faith and trust in him and him alone, you have everything you need in this moment to change and to see life. It's already there. Everything you need to change and to see your life have more significance and more satisfaction and more security more safety and more success. Everything you need for those feelings is already there, yours in Christ. It's there, sitting on the kitchen counter, waiting for you to take to God's bank there at the throne room of grace and, and be cashed by faith. Which leads us to our last thought this morning, and that is simply this. Not only is Jesus my life, and not only is Jesus my hope, but I want you to see Jesus is my change. Only Jesus can change your heart. Only Jesus, not not getting your spouse changed. Well, if I just had a different spouse, my life would be totally different. You need a heart change, not necessarily a spouse change. Well, I just need a new job. Well, that's great, but more than you need a new job, you you need a new heart. Well, you know, I I just need a new church, maybe. But maybe what you need is a new heart. To experience what God's already given to you in Christ. And you're looking to a different spouse. You're looking to a different city. You're looking to a different job. You're looking to a different church. You're looking to a different relationship. You're looking to the next kind of big toy or big resource. Because that's the thing that's going to give me my feelings of success and satisfaction, significance and security. And it's my great hope. Your hope is Jesus. 
Look here, look there. And mark it down, you'll come to a point where you feel exactly like you feel now. Because your hope is not in any of those things. Your hope is in Jesus. Now, am I saying God doesn't change those things? God changes all of those things and he leads in all of those things. But too often we are motivated by those things rather than motivated by Jesus. We're motivated because we want to feel more significant. We want to feel more successful. We want to have more money. We want to get more security. We want those things. And so it is that that motivates us, not the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's like we get led by those things and then we kind of figure out, well, I wonder if God's in this, on this thing. And so we kind of like, well, I think God's in on it. But really what's driving our heart is, is being motivated by one of those things. And God says, it's already yours right here. You've already experienced it. You already have it. Jesus is our change. And I know we look for change in all these things, in all these places. Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's your change. Because Christ's spirit resides in you, you have everything you need for life and godliness. You have everything you need to change. You don't have to live that life anymore. It already exists within you. Religion says this, God will love me if I change. That's what religion says. God will love me if I change. The gospel of grace says God's love changes me. You see the difference? Both lead to change to some degree, but the first doesn't lead to lasting change. Religion says if you change, God will love you a little bit more. He'll like you a little bit more. You'll be a little more, he'll be a little bit more impressed with you. That's religion. It's not true. It's not biblical. God loves you as much as he could love you at any point right now. There's nothing you can do to make you God love you more. You are loved and you are favored. You see, grace says God's love is changing me. I don't work for victory. I work from victory. <laughs> When you see a clean car driving down the road, have you ever seen this? You're driving down the road and you're like, that is a really clean car. It's, Man, it's just clean. It's Do you think to yourself, I wonder how that car washed itself? No, here's what you're thinking. That owner takes good care of his car. That owner is cleaning his car. That that owner is taking care of it. It's the same way with God. When you see a clean Christian, when you see a holy Christian, when you see somebody who's functionally demonstrating Christ-honoring behaviors, it's not because that Christian is all that in a bag of chips. It's because they've got a great God. And they're experiencing great grace. And they're simply yielding to the grace that God's giving through them. It's nothing of their own. If you're here today and you're experiencing some level of God's grace in your life, you have nothing to glory in. Because all you brought to the situation was your ugly sin. You just happened to yield it to God. That's why Paul said, if you're going to glory, glory, glory in him. That clean car doesn't drive down the road saying to the other cars, yeah, look what I pulled off. Look how clean I am. They know the owner took care of it. Let me throw this on the screens as we kind of wrap this thing up. When you come to see that Christian growth doesn't happen by working hard to get something you don't have. Okay, get this. this is, you have to think about this. 
Christian growth doesn't happen by working hard to get something you don't have. I need significance. I need satisfaction. I need victory. I need success. When you come to see that Christian growth doesn't happen by working hard to get something you don't have, but rather it happens by working hard to experience the reality of what you already have, then the gospel of grace will begin to radically transform your life from the inside out. It's not like I need significance, I need satisfaction, I need victory, I'm going to do this, I'm going to work hard. No, when you, when you begin to, re, when you realize it happens by working hard, what am I working hard to do? To experience the reality of what you've already been given. By faith, live in it. By faith, recognize it to be true. Then the gospel of grace begins to radically transform your functional life from the inside out. You're not working for victory. You're working from it. You've already got it in Christ. It's already yours. Jesus is your life. Jesus is your hope. And Jesus is your change. How many of you have seen this as you're kind of in stores and stuff? There's this guy, uh, LifeLock. Are you, you familiar with this guy? And he puts his social security number like all over. And he says, oh, my product is so great. I'm willing to get... Kind of a little side fact, kind of interesting. Uh, he's had his identity taken 50 times and, and for like multi-millions of dollars. It's just kind of for whatever it's worth. And I'm sure it's a marketing stunt and he figures he's got the lawyers to make up for it and everything. But the reality is this guy who puts it out there, he's had his identity stolen probably more times than anybody in planet Earth. I mean, it's just, and, and it's just kind of, it's his marketing thing. It's how he gets it, kind of gets it out there. And he's had his identity stolen so many times. I mean, Google it sometimes. It's kind of a fascinating thing. But in a lot of the same ways, we've had our identity stolen. The problem is we don't even realize it. Like we're living our lives like we are our past. And so functionally, we keep living out. Like I was a gossip before I got saved and now I'm still a gossip because you're living out of an old identity. I was an addict before I got saved. Now I'm saved and I'm still an addict. You're living out of a reality that no longer exists. Because you are not an addict. It's not who you are. And by faith, we need to see an identity changed. Your heart changed from the inside out. So Christ has an environment to live his life through you. That's not who you are anymore. You may lust... But in Christ, you're no longer a luster. <laughs> you might steal, but in Christ, you're no longer a thief. You are living out an old identity. You've had your identity stolen, and you're living out of a false identity. You're living functionally your life out of an old identity. You are not living your life out of a new identity. Some of you, yeah, I'm an angry person. No, you're not. You just sometimes act angry. And by faith, you can appropriate the grace to functionally live out harmony and live out peace as you live out of that new identity. The reason you have such a hard time overcoming your anger is because you actually think you're an angry person. And you have not allowed Christ to change your identity from the inside out. You've still convinced yourself you're somebody you're not. And as long as, you're, as long as you believe yourself to be somebody who God says you're not, you're going to struggle with practical, functional sanctification. Because your identity continues to hammer in who you are.
Um, you say, well, what happens when I still do wrong? I mean, I'm a Christian. I've got this new identity, but sometimes my identity fails. I forget who I am in Christ. I no longer live and rely. I, by faith, I don't claim his grace and that new identity. And, and, and so I, I fail. We do that. John chapter number two talks about it. And in those cases, we have an advocate. Let me give you, let me give you an illustration on this. Um, a couple months ago, our, our sink kind of messed up a little bit. <laughs> I'm not necessarily a plumber by any stretch of the imagination. Every once in a while, I might do some plumbing. But I am not a plumber. I want you to see this. I'm a plum every once in a while. You guys can help me out with the terminology. But I'm not a plumber. You might sin every once in a while. But I just want to tell you today, that's no longer who you are. You're living out of a false identity when you do. When you get angry, your new nature is not an angry nature. Your new nature, the new nature in Christ, you're not an angry, that's, Christ's nature is not angry. You're not angry at that. Your flesh is allowing you to be angry. Your new nature is not angry. You are a generous person. That is who you are in Christ. You are generous. You're highly generous. Sometimes you don't act like it. And sometimes you don't live like it. You live out of an old identity. But in Christ, Christ is generous. He gives. He sacrifices. That's who Christ is in you. And so you can choose not to live in response to that new identity. You can, you can rebel, what the Bible says, quench the spirit and live out of your old identity. But it still isn't who you are. Everything we talked about at the beginning of the service, that's who you are. By God's grace, you are redeemed. And by God's grace, you are righteous. And by God's grace, you are saved. And by God's grace, you are holy. And by God's grace, you are triumphant. And by God's grace, you are victorious. By God's grace, you have significance and you have value. That is your identity in Christ because Jesus is your life. I want to encourage you to continually saturate your mind in the reality of who Christ says you are in him and by him and choose to believe and respond to that reality above everything else. Why? Because no individual can consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves to be. Somebody or something is going to inform your identity. Who is it? What is it? And whoever informs it, whoever identifies it, in large part is going to have massive influence on your future behavioral choices. So are you allowing God's word into your heart and mind and soul to remind you of who you are in Christ and how Christ wants to live out his life through you? Or are there other things that are, you are allowing a greater influence over your identity than the word and promise of God? That's the question. Shall we pray?